Chapter Eight, Part One of Herndon's Lincoln. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Herndon's Lincoln by William H. Herndon and Jesse William Welk. Section Ten. In December of 1834, Lincoln prepared himself for the legislature to which he had been elected by such a complimentary majority. Through the generosity of his friend Smoot, he purchased a new suit of clothes, and entering the stage at New Salem, rode through to Vandalia, the seat of government. He appreciated the dignity of his new position, and instead of walking to the capital, as some of his biographers have contended, availed himself of the usual mode of travel. At this session of the legislature, he was anything but conspicuous. In reality, he was very modest, but shrewd enough to impress the force of his character on those persons whose influence might some day be of advantage to him. He made but little stir, if we're to believe the record, during the whole of this first session, made a member of the Committee on Public Accounts and Expenditures. His name appears so seldom in the reports of the proceedings that we're prone to conclude that he must have contented himself with listening to the flashes of border oratory and absorbing his due proportion of parliamentary law. He was reserved in manner, but very observant, said little, but learned much, made the acquaintance of all the members and many influential persons on the outside. The lobby at that day contained the representative men of the state, men of acknowledged prominence and respectability, many of them able lawyers drawn thither in advocacy of some pet bill. Schemes of vast internal improvements attracted a retinue of log rollers, who in later days seemed to have been an indispensable necessity in the movement of complicated legislative machinery. Men of capital and brains were there. He early realized the importance of knowing all these, trusting to the inspiration of some future hour to impress them with his skill as an organizer or his power as an orator. Among the members of the outside or third body was Stephen A. Douglas, whom Lincoln then saw for the first time. Douglas had come from Vermont only the year before, but was already undertaking to supplant John J. Hardin in the office of state's attorney for the district in which both lived. What impression he made on Lincoln, what opinions each formed of the other, or what the extent of their acquaintance then was, we do not know. It is said that Lincoln afterwards, in mentioning their first meeting, observed of the newly arrived Vermonter that he was the least man he had ever seen. The legislator proper contained the youth and blood and fire of the frontier. Some of the men who participated in these early parliamentary battles were destined to carry the banners of great political parties, some to lead in war and some in the great council chamber of the nation. Some were to fill the governor's office, others to wear the judicial ermine, and one was destined to be chief magistrate and die a martyr to the cause of human liberty. The Society of Vandalia, and the people attracted thither by the legislature, made it, for that early day, a gay place indeed. Compared to Lincoln's former environments, it had no lack of refinement and polish. But he absorbed a good deal of this by contact with the men and women who surrounded him, there can be no doubt. The drift of sentiment 
and the sweep of civilization at this time can best be measured by the character of the legislation there were acts to incorporate banks turnpikes bridges insurance companies towns railroads and female academies the vigor and enterprise of new england fussing with the illusory prestige of kentucky and virginia was fast forming a new civilization to spread over the prairies at this session lincoln remained quietly in the background and contented himself with the introduction of a resolution in favor of securing to the state a part of the proceeds of sales of public lands within its limits with this brief and modest record he returned to his constituents at new salem with zealous perseverance he renewed his application to the law and to surveying continuing his studies in both departments until he became he thought reliable and proficient by reason of a change in the office of surveyor for the county he became a deputy under thomas m neal who had been elected to succeed john calhoun the speculation in lands made a brisk business for the new surveyor who even added calhoun his predecessor to the list of deputies lincoln had now become somewhat established in the goodwill and respect of his constituents his bashfulness and timidity was gradually giving way to a feeling of self-confidence and he began to exult over his ability to stand alone the brief taste of public office which he had just enjoyed and the distinction it gave him only whetted his appetite for further honors accordingly in eighteen thirty six we find him a candidate for the legislature again i will remember this campaign and the election which followed for my father archer g herndon was also a candidate aspiring to a seat in the state senate the legislature at the session previous had in its apportionment bill increased the delegation from sangamon county to seven representatives and two senators party conventions had not yet been invented and there being no nominating machinery to interfere the field was open for any and all to run lincoln again resorted in opening his canvass to the medium of the political handbill although it had not operated with the most satisfactory results in his first campaign yet he felt willing to risk it again candidates of that day evinced far more willingness to announce their position than political aspirants do now without waiting for a convention to construct a platform or some great political leader to sound the keynote of the campaign they stepped to the forefront and blew the bugle themselves this custom will account for the boldness of lincoln's utterances and the unequivocal tone of his declarations his card a sort of political fulmination was as follows new salem june thirteenth eighteen thirty six to the editor of the journal in your paper of last saturday i see a communication over the signature of many voters in which the candidates who are announced in the journal are called upon to show their hands agreed here's mine i go for all sharing the privileges of the government who assist in bearing its burdens consequently i go for admitting all whites to the right of suffrage who pay taxes or bear arms by no means excluding females if elected i shall consider the whole people of sangamon my constituents as well those that oppose as those that support me 
while acting as their representative i shall be governed by their will on all subjects upon which i have the means of knowing what their will is and upon all others i shall do what my own judgment teaches me will best advance their interests whether elected or not i go for distributing the proceeds of the sales of public lands to the several states to enable our state in common with others to dig canals and construct railroads without borrowing money and paying the interest on it if alive on the first monday in november i shall vote for hugh l white for president very respectfully a lincoln it is generally admitted that the bold and decided stand lincoln took although too audacious and emphatic for statesmen of a later day suited the temper of the times leaving out of sight his expressed preference for white of tennessee on whom all the anti-jackson forces were disposed to concentrate and which was but a mere question of men there is much food for thought in the second paragraph his broad plan for universal suffrage certainly commends itself to the ladies and we need no further evidence to satisfy our minds of his position on the subject of women's rights had he lived in fact i cannot refrain from noting here what views he in after years held with reference to the great questions of moral and social reforms under which he classed universal suffrage temperance and slavery all such questions he observed one day as we were discussing temperance in the office must first find lodgment with the most enlightened souls who stamp them with their approval in god's own time they will be organized into law and thus woven into the fabric of our institutions the canvas which followed this public avowal of creed was more exciting than any which had preceded it there were joint discussions and at times much feeling was exhibited each candidate had his friends freely distributed through the crowd and it needed but a few angry interruptions or insinuating rejoinders from one speaker to another to bring on a conflict between their friends frequently the speakers led in the battle themselves as in the case of ninian w edwards afterwards a brother-in-law of lincoln who in debate drew a pistol on his opponent achilles morris a prominent democrat an interesting relic of this canvas recently came to light in a letter which mr lincoln wrote a week after he had announced his candidacy it is addressed to colonel robert allen a democratic politician of local prominence who had been circulating some charges intended to affect lincoln's chances of election the affair brought to the surface what little satire there was in lincoln's nature and he administers by way of innuendo such a flaying as the gallant colonel doubtless never wanted to have repeated the strangest part of it all is that the letter was recently found and given to the public by allen's own son it is as follows new salem june twenty first eighteen thirty six dear colonel i am told that during my absence last week you passed through the place and stated publicly that you were in possession of a fact or facts which if known to the public would entirely destroy the prospects of n w edwards and myself at the ensuing election but that through favor to us you would forbear to divulge them no one has needed favors more than i and generally few have been less unwilling to accept them 
but in this case favor to me would be an injustice to the public and therefore i must beg your pardon for declining it that i once had the confidence of the people of sangamon county is sufficiently evident and if i have done anything either by design or misadventure which if known would subject me to a forfeiture of that confidence he that knows of that thing and conceals it is a traitor to his country's interest i find myself wholly unable to form any conjecture of what facts or fact real or supposed you spoke but my opinion of your veracity will not permit me for a moment to doubt that you at least believed what you said i am flattered with the personal regard you manifested for me but i do hope that on mature reflection you will view the public interest as a paramount consideration and therefore let the worst come i assure you that the candid statement of facts on your part however low it may sink me shall never break the ties of personal friendship between us i wish an answer to this and you are at liberty to publish both if you choose very respectfully a lincoln lincoln was sure the letter never would be published or answered because allen had no facts whatever upon which to base any such charges he also knew that allen who was a hidebound democrat was in politics the most unreliable man in sangamon county a vein of irony runs all through the letter especially where in such a delicate way he pays tribute to the veracity of allen who although a generous fellow in the ordinary sense of the term was unlimited in exaggeration and a veritable bag of wind the effort to smoke him out seems to have been of little effect but enough appears in lincoln's letter to show that he was thoroughly warmed up a joint debate in which all the candidates participated took place on the saturday preceding the election the speaking began in the forenoon says one of the participants the candidates speaking alternately until everyone who could speak had had his turn generally consuming the whole afternoon dr early a democratic candidate in his speech took issue with ninian w edwards stigmatizing some of the latter statements as untrue now this brought edwards to his feet with a similar retort his angry tone and menacing manner as he mounted a table and with clenched fist hurled defiance at his challenger foreboded a tumultuous scene the excitement that followed relates another one of the candidates was intense so much so that fighting men thought a duel must settle the difficulty mr lincoln by the program followed early taking up the subject in dispute he handled it so fairly and with such ability all were astonished and pleased the turbulent spirits were quieted and the difficulty was easily overcome lincoln's friend joshua f speed relates that during this campaign he made a speech in springfield a few days before the election the crowd was large says speed and great numbers of his friends and admirers had come in from the country i remember that his speech was a very able one using with great power and originality all the arguments used to sustain the principles of the whig party as against its great rival the democratic party of that day the speech produced a profound impression the crowd was with him george folkwer an old citizen a man of recognized prominence and ability as a lawyer was present folkwer had been a whig one of the champions of the party 
but had then recently joined the Democratic Party, and almost simultaneous with the change, had been appointed Register of the Land Office, which office he then held. Just about that time, Mr. Folkwer had completed a neat frame house, the best house then in Springfield, and over it had erected a lightning rod, the only one in the place, and the first one Mr. Lincoln had ever seen. He afterwards told me that seeing Folkwer's lightning rod had led him to the study of the properties of electricity and the utility of the rod as a conductor. At the conclusion of Lincoln's speech, the crowd was about dispersing when Folkwer's rose and asked to be heard. He commenced by saying that the young man would have to be taken down and was sorry the task devolved on him. He then proceeded to answer Lincoln's speech in a style which, while it was able and fair, in his whole manner asserted and claimed superiority. Lincoln stood a few steps away with arms folded, carefully watching the speaker and taking in everything he said. He was laboring under a good deal of suppressed excitement. Folkwer's sting had roused the lion within him. At length, Folkwer concluded, and he mounted the stand to reply. I have heard him often since, continued Speed, in the courts and before the people, but never saw him appear and acquit himself so well as upon that occasion. His reply to Folkwer was characterized by great dignity and force. I shall never forget the conclusion of that speech. Mr. Folkwer commenced his speech by announcing that the young man would have to be taken down. It is for you, fellow citizens, not for me to say whether I am up or down. The gentleman has seen fit to allude to my being a young man, but he forgets that I am older in years than I am in the tricks and trades of politicians. I desire to live, and I desire place and distinction, but I would rather die now than, like the gentleman, live to see the day that I would change my politics for an office worth three thousand dollars a year, and then feel compelled to erect a lightning rod to protect a guilty conscience from an offended god. The effect of this rejoinder was wonderful, and gave Folkwer and his lightning rod a notoriety the extent of which no one envied him. In the election which followed, Sangamon County, in a political sense, was entirely turned over. Hitherto the Democrats had always carried it, but now the Whigs gained control by an average majority of four hundred. This time Lincoln led his ticket. The nine elected were Abraham Lincoln, Ninian W. Edwards, John Dawson, Andrew McCormick, Dan Stone, W. M. F. Elkin, Robert L. Wilson, Job Fletcher, and Archer G. Herndon. The last two were senators. On assembling at Vandalia, they were at once, on account of their stature, dubbed the Long Nine. In height, they averaged over six feet, and in weight, over two hundred pounds. We were not only noticed, says one of them, for our number and length, but for our combined influence. All the bad or objectionable laws passed at that session of the legislature, and for many years afterwards were chargeable to the management and influence of the Long Nine. It is not my purpose to enter into a detailed account of legislation at this period, or to rehearse the history of the political conditions. Many and ingenious were the maneuvers, but it would fill page after page to narrate them. One thing which deserves mention in passing was that Yankee contrivance, 
the convention system which for the first time was brought into use the democrats in obedience to the behests of jackson had adopted it and singularly enough among the very first name for office under the operation of the new system was stephen a douglas who was elected to the legislature from morgan county its introduction was attributed to ebenezer peck of chicago a democrat who had once it was said served in the canadian parliament this latter supposed connection with a monarchical institution was sufficient to bring down on his head the united hostility of the whigs a feeling in which even lincoln joined but after witnessing for a time the wonderful effects of its discipline in democratic ranks the whigs too fell in and resorted to the use of the improved machinery the legislature of which mr lincoln thus became a member was one that will never be forgotten in illinois its legislation in aid of the so-called internal improvement system was significantly reckless and unwise the gigantic and stupendous operations of the scheme dazzled the eyes of nearly everybody but in the end it rolled up a debt so enormous as to impede the otherwise marvelous progress of illinois the burdens imposed by this legislature under the guise of improvements became so monumental in size it is little wonder that at intervals for years afterward the monster of repudiation often showed its hideous face above the waves of popular indignation these attempts at a settlement of the debt brought about a condition of things which it is said led the little giant in one of his efforts on the stump to suggest that illinois ought to be honest if she never paid a cent however much we may regret that lincoln took part and aided in this reckless legislation we must not forget that his party and all his constituents gave him their united endorsement they gave evidence of their approval of his course by two subsequent elections to the same office it has never surprised me in the least that lincoln fell so harmoniously in with the great system of improvement he never had what some people call money sense by reason of his peculiar nature and construction he was endowed with none of the elements of a political economist he was enthusiastic and theoretical to a certain degree could take hold of and wrap himself up in a great moral question but in dealing with the financial and commercial interests of a community or government he was equally as inadequate as he was ineffectual in managing the economy of his own household in this respect alone i always regarded mr lincoln as a weak man one of his biographers describing his legislative career at this time says of him he was big with prospects his real public service was just now about to begin in the previous legislature he had been silent observant studious he had improved the opportunity so well that of all men in this new body of equal age in the service he was the smartest parliamentarian and cunningest log roller he was fully determined to identify himself conspicuously with the liberal legislation in contemplation and dreamed of a fame very different from that which he actually obtained as an anti-slavery leader it was about this time he told his friend speed that he aimed at the great distinction of being called the dewitt clinton of illinois the representatives in the legislature from sangamon county had been instructed by a mass convention of their constituents to vote 
for a general system of internal improvements another convention of delegates from all the counties in the state met at vandalia and made a similar recommendation to the members of the legislature specifying that it should be commensurate with the wants of the people provision was made for a gridiron of railroads the extreme points of the state east and west north and south were to be brought together by thirteen hundred miles of iron rails every river and stream of the least importance was to be widened deepened and made navigable a canal to connect the illinois river and lake michigan was to be dug and thus the great system was to be made commensurate with the wants of the people to effect all these great ends a loan of twelve million dollars was authorized before the session closed work on all these gigantic enterprises was to begin at the earliest practicable moment cities were to spring up everywhere capital from abroad was to come pouring in attracted by the glowing reports of marvelous progress and great internal wealth people were to come swarming in by the colonies until in the end illinois was to outstrip all the others and herself become the empire state of the union lincoln served on the committee on finance and zealously labored for the success of the great measures proposed believing they would ultimately enrich the state and redound to the glory of all who aided in their passage in advocating these extensive and far-reaching plans he was not alone stephen a douglas john a mcclernand james shields and others prominent in the subsequent history of the state were equally as earnest in espousing the cause of improvement and sharing with him the glory that attended it next in importance came the bill to remove the seat of government from vandalia springfield of course wanted it so also did alton decatur peoria jacksonville and iliopolis but the long nine by their adroitness and influence were too much for their contestants they made a bold fight for springfield entrusting the management of the bill to lincoln the friends of other cities fought springfield bitterly but under lincoln's leadership the long nine contested with them every inch of the way the struggle was warm and protracted its enemies relates one of lincoln's colleagues laid it on the table twice in those darkest hours when our bill to all appearances was beyond resuscitation and all our opponents were jubilant over our defeat and when friends could see no hope mr lincoln never for one moment despaired but collecting his colleagues to his room for consultation his practical common sense his thorough knowledge of human nature then made him an overmatch for his compeers and for any man that i've ever known the friends of the bill at last surmounted all obstacles and only a day or two before the close of the session secured its passage by a joint vote of both houses meanwhile the great agitation against human slavery which like a rare plant had flourished amid the hills of new england in luxuriant growth began to make its appearance in the west missionaries in the great cause of human liberty were settling everywhere taunts jeers ridicule persecution assassination even were destined to prove ineffectual in the effort to suppress or exterminate these pioneers of abolitionism these brave but derided apostles carried with them the seed of a great reform perhaps as was then said of them they were somewhat in advance of their season 
and perhaps too some of the seed might be sown in sterile ground and never come to life but they comforted themselves with the assurance that it would not all die a little here and there was destined to grow to life and beauty it is not surprising i think that lincoln should have viewed this new england importation with mingled suspicion and alarm abstractly and from the standpoint of conscience he abhorred slavery but born in kentucky and surrounded as he was by slave-holding influences absorbing their prejudices and following in their line of thought it is not strange i repeat that he should fail to estimate properly the righteous indignation and unrestrained zeal of a yankee abolitionist on the last day but one of the session he solicited his colleagues to sign with him a mild and carefully worded protest against certain resolutions on the subject of domestic slavery which had been passed by both houses of the legislature they all declined however save one dan stone who with his associate will probably be known long after mention of all other members of the long nine had dropped from history the language and sentiment are clearly lincolnian and over twenty years afterwards when it was charged that lincoln was an abolitionist and this protest was cited as proof it was only necessary to call for a careful reading of the paper for an unqualified and overwhelming refutation of the charge the records of the legislature for march third eighteen thirty seven contain this entry resolutions upon the subject of domestic slavery having passed both branches of the general assembly at its present session the undersigned hereby protest against the passage of the same they believe that the institution of slavery is founded on both injustice and bad policy but that the promulgation of abolition doctrines tends rather to increase than abate its evils they believe that the congress of the united states has no power under the constitution to interfere with the institution of slavery in the different states they believe that the congress of the united states has the power under the constitution to abolish slavery in the district of columbia but that the power ought not to be exercised unless at the request of the people of the district the difference between these opinions and those contained in the above resolutions is their reason for entering this protest dan stone a lincoln representatives from the county of sangamon this document so adroitly drawn and worded this protest pruned of any offensive allusions and cautiously framed so as to suit the temper of the times stripped of its verbal foliage reveals in naked grandeur the solemn truth that the institution of slavery is founded on both injustice and bad policy a quarter of a century later finds one of these protesters writing the injustice and correcting the bad policy of the inhuman and diabolical institution the return of the long nine to springfield was the occasion of much enthusiasm and joy the manifestations of public delight has never been equaled before save when the steamer talisman made its famous trip down the sangamon in 1831 the returning legislators were welcomed with public dinners and the effervescent buncombe of local orators 
amid the congratulations of warm friends and the approval of their enthusiastic constituents in which lincoln received the lion's share of praise they separated each departing to his own home end of section ten